0: So, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do?
1: Hi, yes. So, I'm Addie Adawusi. I'm based out of Atlanta, Georgia. I describe myself as a product manager, mathematician, artist, creator, tech optimist, and futurist. And I, I'm currently working as a product manager for Microsoft. And I also am the host and executive producer of a news show called Edition with Addie Adawusi.
0: What is your history with punk rock or the punk rock scene?
1: Yeah, so I can I will go chronologically based on my awareness of you know being part of the punk rock scene, but I found out later that I kind of grew up in the birth of punk rock. And I, I'll ask. You two, where do you where do you two believe punk rock originated?
2: The evolution of it's interesting because I think like if we're gonna talk about like punk rock in spirit, like then we can talk about rock and roll in the fifties, but we can also talk about like Bob Dylan and like folk music, right? Because it was like the first time that music could be simplified and the lyrics mattered more than the musicianship. But I think if I have to think about like punk rock in itself, I'd probably say late sixties with Iggy and the Stooges.
1: Okay.
0: And then at the same time, the UK scene was happening too. So uh,
1: nineteen, go ahead. Exactly. That's why I brought it up because I grew up in the UK. Yeah. So I was uh, born in Pennsylvania. And when I was about one and a half, I moved to the UK. And the majority of my time living in the UK, I was living in council housing, which is um, British government housing, the equivalent of projects in the US but much nicer because England is socialist. I'll I'll fast forward to high school. My first relationship was with a drummer in a punk rock ska band called Brain Damaged. So that was my first experience with punk with the with the clothes, with mosh pits, the shows. As you can imagine, dating a drummer, I was very much exposed to that part of the world of the punk world. But when I was, when I was about 20, that's when I heard my first Sex Pistols album and I listened to Nevermind the Bullocks. And I realized that he's talking about growing up in British government housing and, you know, the feelings about, you know, living, not necessarily in poverty, but, you know, living a very different life from, you know, the queen of England yeah. And, sure. <laughs> and you know just how I, that was the first album that was, you know, critical of British monarchy, but at least that I was aware of, um with this the song God Save the Queen.
2: Yeah, I, I believe God Save the Queen got banned in the UK for uh, yeah. for a little bit, huh? Yeah. So, uh, it made a lot more sense why I was
1: always gravitated to, you know, the punk scene because I I you know, I just grew up in you know one of the places where that mindset even originated
2: the uk had such a incredible punk rock scene at the same time that the sex pistols were coming up there was also bands like crass and like really really politically intelligent punk bands that weren't making mainstream news yeah like i said just like phenomenal music coming out of the uk throughout that entire scene
0: one thing i wanted to ask about was uh, you said, "Oh, dating a drummer." You got exposed to a lot of things. Is that because, like, drummers were still in very high demand because there was such a low percentage of drummers in the musicianscape?
1: Uh, I would say, and you know, it's kind of a trope that drummers are typically the most notorious of the band members. Sure, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it was very much like. You know, a a band household. They were renting a a house that was two bedrooms. The four band members lived there. Two of them lived in the closet, including my boyfriend at the time. And two of them actually, you know, had a mattress.
2: Beyond, you know, your relationship, were there any other things that drew you specifically to the culture? I mean, you said you're an artist. Would you credit that exposure to that, like, counterculture in your? life now as an artist, as a creator?
1: Yeah, for sure. I would say my life is still punk rock. And I think it comes from just that feeling of being an outsider. So, you know, growing up in the UK, you know, in government housing, there's an outsider feeling,
2: mm-hmm. interacting
1: with friends at the same school that don't live there, for example. And and then moving to the US, I used to have an accent. I moved straight to the Dallas suburbs. And I, it was also very a racially segregated area, not necessarily in a Jim Crow way, more of in a, you know, we sit with our own kind kind of way. So, you know, just feeling like I'm coming from a different country. I'm, my family's African. So even within the black community, I felt like an outsider since I wasn't, you know, African-American. And, and then when I went to the high school, I went to, I went to all girls boarding school. I was a scholarship kid. I think there's a tendency whenever you feel like you're in the outside to, you know, congregate or gravitate towards the other misfits, which, you know, people in punk will display, whether it's how they wear their hair, you know, with tattoos or how they dress, things like that. Um, It signals that, you know, you're safe with me in a way like you're you're one of us.
2: Yeah, sure. Like like judgment doesn't mean a whole lot here yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah
1: no think- one cares where you're from, kind of you know it it's nice to just be seen as like you know a person, what are you into as opposed mm-hmm. to what's your status in society?
0: yeah I definitely that resonates a lot with some other things that I wanna bring up first i want to know like what are the values ethics or principles that you learned from punk rock that you carry with you today and that could be like anything from your work like and so in tech and making tech accessible congratulations on that certification and it's really cool that you like work with microsoft so like how how does punk rock values resonate with your professional life and your personal life like today
1: yeah, well, I would say in some ways I incorporate punk rock. In some ways, my life is the complete antithesis of punk rock. I work for the establishment. I work for the man. And, you know, when I was in college, I I was a math major and I also, you know, was doing studio art. My first job was working for a sculptor, you know, with pink hair. And I never intended on going into corporate America, but um there was a a woman who scared me a little bit uh, you know she kind of put the fear of financial insecurity in in me like at the time everything was fine i was making ends meet but she was like when you're my age you don't want to be broke basically so sure. i took my first corporate job and and i felt like a complete sellout and it and i still I the way I navigate corporate America now, I see it. I, I feel empowered as an employee to take charge of my career within the company. Of course, there's going to be limitations, so I had to just change my mindset a little bit, as like yes, I'm working for the establishment, but I'm still charting my own unique path. So you know, uniqueness, authenticity, those are the big uh, values that I get from. You know, punk rock, not being afraid to be yourself.
2: What was your first job when you moved into corporate work?
1: My first job was a marketing specialist. I would never taken taken one marketing class. I only had probably negative associations with marketing. Yeah, I was doing demand generation and growth for a startup as a recent graduate. And is that something you just kind of fell into, or is it something you sought out? Completely fell into. So at the time, you know, I was, you know, working as for an artist and then had a side job doing this woman's groceries. And she happened to be working at this company and they needed to hire someone with my skill set. What I didn't realize is that when you put math and art together, you kind of get marketing because it's about like, Mm -hmm. you know, data analysis and also creative as well so i'm always pulled into those sorts of jobs
2: that's really interesting i mean we we were having this discussion a couple days ago we were talking about like the dichotomy between like what it is to be from punk rock culture and also be a professional because those things are a complete dichotomy (laughs) but like i think a lot of people don't understand that like they they kind of go hand in hand if you like want to continue to push those values like through your life it's better to do them from within or like a system or like in a position where you have like a platform to continue pushing like your own values and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing with your your professionalism here yeah absolutely
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Are there any other ways that those values show up for you in life today? Like you talked a little bit about the feeling of selling out. And I think that's something that, you know, like also is a very dichotomous term, because like really to sell out in a lot of ways just means to be successful at life, like monetarily or financially, it feels like you're compromising your values. But like, In order to be financially secure, you have to maintain your values in the work that you do. And, like, even if you do keep a separate personal professional life, which is another dichotomy, like, you can fully espouse the values in one and try to subvert the system through your professional life in in the other I guess we have to be really conscious of like our audience and stuff but like are there any personal values that you carry carry with you from punk rock like that may not directly relate to work I guess what I'm getting at is you talked about feminism and so I'm interested in your philosophies on feminism and like how that shows up for you and what are the tie-ins with punk rock
1: so feminism is something that it was drilled into me in high school. I went to an all girls boarding school. It was liberal. And we were we we're outside of DC. So you know Hillary Clinton was friends with our headmistress, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it was that kind of feminism, the more, you know, traditional, I forget which wave, but the the Hillary Clinton feminism, women can do the same thing as men and we should have the same opportunities. When I got to college, I went to Dartmouth, which is in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire, and it's not the most diverse institution ever. So there was an organization that I had joined called the Women of Color Collective, which I didn't realize at the time, but if collective is in the name, like it's a political Radical organization. And that's when I was introduced to intersectional feminism and, you know, what it means to be, you know, not just a woman, but also Black or also queer or, you know, also whatever identity. And so for me, going, me being who I am and, you know, working in corporate America and big corporate, you know, working with you know largely male um mostly engineers is already kind of like a radical punk rock force the fact that i'm showing up and and doing my job and not being apologetic about it some of the you know part of being a feminist i listen to you know feminist podcasts about the workplace and i've understood you know some the words i need to get rid of like over apologizing or saying just, or, you know, just being assertive and confident. And I think that is a radical act. And I, it's also anti-establishment, you know, showing up as who I am and believing that I deserve to be there and doing what I need to do to get my job done effectively.
0: Some of the areas that you really show up in is like black women in tech and fintech You're starting to talk a lot about crypto. And so I'm just wondering what made you take those leaps and put (laughs) yourself out there like that?
1: So I would say cryptocurrency is punk rock completely. It's anti-establishment money if you're talking about Bitcoin or Ethereum. So I, I do really gravitate to it. And I felt I had a lot of fear Essentially coming out as someone who's into crypto because it is so polarizing. However, I want to be happy. You know, I I think it's also a punk rock act to think that I don't need to sacrifice my quality of life for money. I think one extreme is by choosing not to engage in the system at all and, you know, busking your way through life, which I have done. And the other option is showing up as your authentic self even when no one else is doing that, you know, not being afraid to veer away from the norm and, you know, not feeling the pressure to conform.
2: When it comes to tech, and I guess just your entire field that you were talking about how, you know, just showing up and being yourself is such a huge accomplishment every day. And I, I feel like I think that's something uh, relating back to feminism that like a lot of women experience when they move into a field that especially is male dominated. But like, have you ever experienced like imposter syndrome, like in your job? Like, I know you were talking about when you first came in, you were like, I didn't really know anything about marketing. I kind of jumped in there. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah. So I think everyone feels a little bit of imposter syndrome their first you know week at a job. Mm-hmm. I've never felt like I didn't deserve my job or that I didn't belong. What I had to overcome for imposter syndrome is the amount of money that I was asking for. Okay. Um, there, like It took a long time for me to, you know, feel confident negotiating my salary and, you know, asking for exactly what I want, not what I think they would be willing to give to me. So my first job, I didn't negotiate, but every job after that, I negotiated.
0: So Uh, where can people get information? Do you think about salary ranges and stuff? Just a little bit of backstory, Addie and I met in a financial coaching group, and there's actually a lot of talk about if imposter syndrome is real or if it's just like, acknowledging women's experiences in society as valid when they show up in the workplace. So I I still believe in imposter syndrome, (laughs) but where should people go in your opinion to look for salary ranges? Because I know that that is something that like, it does feel like, well, if I really want this job, you know, I don't know what to offer. Maybe I should just offer something really low or comparable or, and that actually relates to your recent posting so we record like 4 weeks to 5 weeks out. And so when you're posting like I think it was today you talked about how your your salary is your responsibility. So where where should people go in order to like take charge of that and ownership of of their salary.
1: So first things first, we need to start talking to our friends and the people that we know about their salary and how much they make. We money is super weighted and everyone has shame. Or, or I mean, I, I'll speak for myself. You know, it's always like, how are you going to perceive me based on my salary? So, first, normalizing those conversations in our immediate community. Men are doing this. It is very; they're very open and transparent about it, and they're competitive. So, start there. Then there's amazing apps. So, Blind, the Blind app. Uh, you log in with your company email and that is largely sharing salaries with people who work in tech but there are all sorts of organizations there that opened my eyes significantly to you know what was possible you know i always knew people got paid a lot in tech but i had no idea how much uh, there's levels.fyi so if you're working for a large tech company that's the place to go but also if you want to if you're working at a startup and and just want to get a sense of you know what what your worth is in the market i would check that out and also now that i'm on tiktok hashtag salary transparency. I am so excited to go down that rabbit hole. I've watched some of those videos and shared it with friends who they've said, oh, I've been interested in going into this career path. I'm like, yes, let me share this TikTok with you so you can have an idea of what to ask for. I think salary information is intentionally kept private and gatekept because it's not in the employer's benefit for us to be, you know, asking for more because sure. we're a line item for them and they want it to be as low well as possible. But do your
2: research, talk to people and um, use all those resources that I shared. Awesome. Um, I did want to rewind a little bit. And uh, you mentioned that you are an artist. Do you want to talk a little bit about what kind of art you do?
1: Yeah. So I experimented with a few mediums. I did photography, sculpture, architecture, and digital art. One of the big reasons why I got into cryptos when NFTs came out because I have, you know, a library of digital art that I can now, you know, sell online. So right now I do have another, a few other NFT collections in the works. So I've already done one for women of mathematics. I want to do another one for women of web three because I feel like they are going to be pioneers um, in the next. 50 years. And I'm also gonna create a profile pick NFT collection for people who are part of my podcast community. So digital art, now that there's actually a a way to, you know, monetize it, mm-hmm. I'm I'm so excited because, you know, I love it's a skill set. It combines technology and art in a way that is perfect for me.
2: And has it been fairly lucrative? It's it's been worth taking the, the time to learn about? Crypto or NFTs or... Uh, like art? selling NFTs, like selling your digital art. Has that been like a successful venture for you? Not at all. I have made <laughs>
1: zero money selling NFTs, but I am not a full-time artist, so it doesn't matter. I don't. I don't think, you know, NFTs are the answer to, you know, artists not being paid. <laughs> but if you have an audience then absolutely you should have an nft collection so i'm in the process of building my audience my community it's a very narrow niche of people i'm i'm ex- i'm happy to do art for the sake of art and knowing that i could if you know if i get lucky or if the right opportunity strikes i can make money from it
0: i think that's cool. really punk rock yeah like yeah um, totally just- Doing art for art's sake and to make you happy. And I'm super excited about the Web3 collection, especially if it is just going to be all women. I do feel like there are already a lot of great pillars in Web3 that deserve to have the work that they do and the causes that they advocate and the way that they build systems. Like the, those people need to be preserved and like mm-hmm. commemorated through time. So I think what you're doing is just amazing.
1: No, well, thank you. Well, yeah. they say it, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Um, I'm in my 10 years right now of building. Oh, congratulations.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Is there anything else that you want to share or any questions you have for us?
1: Well, to share, definitely, um, if you're interested in tech stocks, career in crypto, check out my podcast. It's Edition with Addy Adawusi. Just search Edition with Addy, A-D-D-Y. And for you two, I was listening to your first episodes of your podcast, and you were kind of talking about your careers living on the island what are your next moves or, or what, if you're happy with what you're doing, what's your current move?
2: I can, I can speak to this one. Uh, So I work for, in the nonprofit sector here. I think the first thing to understand about Hawaii in particular is that because it is the most isolated island chain on the planet, it definitely functions that way. So as a grant writer, like what we were talking about, like salary and, you know, getting what you're worth, it's it's an interesting prospect here because it's almost impossible. Nobody's going to pay what you're worth here. And they can do that because it's such a tiny tiny place. Everybody
0: wants to be here.
2: Yeah, and oh gosh, especially through the pandemic, <laughs> we have so much more populace now. My next move is I'm I'm really like rethinking the like sector of nonprofit that I want to be on uh in right now i'm working in regenerative agriculture and sustainability and i love that work but there are so few nonprofits here that i feel like are really it's very localized anything that we accomplish is going to be for the good of the state which is great i was born and raised here but i think i'd like to do a little bit more on like a national level and i particularly would like to work with wildlife and conservation in that manner So I think that's where I'm headed next. I've been applying with a few nonprofits remote. It's just really tricky because we're in Hawaii standard time. So even from the West coast, we're three hours behind. So making that like time framework is really tricky. Like even if I, if my resume is intriguing to somebody, the fact that I live in Hawaii makes it difficult. Yeah. Time
1: zone really has a huge impact. Yeah, so thank you for taking the time being six
0: hours apart. I really appreciate uh, finding a time that works with both of us. For me, I am exploring like remote work. I have a PhD. Most people know that. If you're new to the show, I have a PhD. And I am having a hard time finding a job in academia. Uh, The average job search in academia to get full-time job takes three to six years. So um, I have a couple of universities on the table that I'm interviewing with. I am a lecturer at UH Hilo, University of Hawaii at Hilo. And I'm also, I am just starting right now. I'm a lecturer at uh, University of California, Berkeley. But because the uh, I don't teach a large enough class load, it's not really anything to live on. So I'm actually exploring how to do algorithmic and AI systems assessment for like diversity, bias and ethics issues. And so hoping to get certified through a program to do that for for accessibility specifically, and then maybe marketing myself in that direction. And I'm also applying for instructional design, which is something I've been doing on the side, but I just had some interviews with a startup and we'll see what happens. If that goes well, then like, I'll, I'll get to do that remote, you know, and, and make that California money, you know, but like not have to actually move to California. So we'll see how it, how it goes.
1: Yeah. That's all of those options sound great. And both of you all are committed to the cause, like, you know, with Diz working in nonprofits and you Alicia, you know, in education much respect for both of you and I wish you the best of luck in your your job searches there is an abundance of options I believe that you'll find something
2: I think it's like how <laughs> oh, you're saying like your overnight success is like a 10 year thing <laughs> like anything good is going to kind with waiting right so for sure I think we're both kind of in that position right now especially like you know the whole the whole concept of this podcast and being out on an island really speaks to the challenges of being out on an island but you know technology is changing the world to be a little bit more accessible especially for people like us so excited to see what's coming down the line yeah you'll be surprised i work with people
1: in india standard time all the time and we make it work most of my team is on the west coast i'm 3 hours ahead of them and we make it work so it's possible
2: awesome well yeah. thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and telling your story is incredible to meet you. Yeah. Likewise. Don't be strangers. I'm happy to chat anytime. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. All right. Bye. Have a great night.